following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Here we go. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Each weekday morning, we have a couple of TV programs set up to record for the boys. And uh, when you come to play back the programs, you know you often get a little bit of the program before that one. And so a little while ago, we were recording a program. I can't remember which one it was, but when we played it back, the program before it was a uh, Christian program. And it was a particular televangelist, whose name I will not mention, who is very strongly associated with the prosperity gospel. And uh, prosperity gospel, if you, if you don't know what that is, it's basically the idea that God's, the mark of God's blessing on your life is that you'll be rich and you'll have material wealth, if, especially if you give to others. And this guy was a big-time prosperity preacher, huge big TV ministry worldwide. And earlier in the year, he undertook this fundraising campaign, this earlier this year, uh, and he tried to raise $65 million for a new luxury private jet. So he could travel around the world and preach, presumably, more prosperity doctrine, more effectively, more efficiently. And there was actually, I remember at the time when this was going on, there was quite a public backlash against that because uh, he was trying to raise a huge amount of that funding from the however many million people that he had as part of his congregation. And there was just a bit of an outcry that that kind of money would be raised for that kind of purpose, for something so luxurious and so far above first class as a means of travel. But I guess it kind of reminded me that the good old prosperity doctrine is still alive and well. You know, sometimes I kind of assume that it's, it's gone away and then it comes back again with a vengeance. It's still very much a thing, uh, this idea that if we give to others and if we obey God, God will bless us financially and materially and make us rich and prosper us in a monetary sense. It's, it's particularly big in North America. That's really the, the, where, where, it's all, where, where that theology came from. But it's represented to a lesser degree in New Zealand as well. And by the way, just to be really controversial, if you're interested, if you follow American politics at the moment, some of Donald Trump's biggest supporters among the Christian community 
are prosperity preachers. It's just that that's for reasons I will leave you to deduce. Uh, that is the case. There's a recent Time magazine article on it if you want to read up on that. So enough down that track. Let's not get all political. But as with most bad theologies, the prosperity doctrine is actually based on a grain of truth. And it's based on a principle that we find in this passage. This is one of the key texts for prosperity theology. Uh, and the problem is it's based on a, on a principle that's a very good principle, a very biblical principle, this idea of sowing and reaping. And I think the problem is for many of us that reject the prosperity doctrine, we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And we reject a principle that's underneath all this, which is actually vital and important and entirely biblical, the law of sowing and reaping. So this is what I want to look at. This is what Paul talks about, this idea of sowing and reaping. And I want to unpack this. I want to try and place it in its biblical context and try and interpret this as faithfully as I can because I think that what Paul means by sowing and reaping is a little bit different to what prosperity preachers mean by sowing and reaping. The basic principles stated right up front in verse 6, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the basic idea. Everything else that Paul says after that in this chapter is all just extrapolating that and explaining that. It's this, it's this basic idea. But, but what Paul wants to say is that this is not just a New Testament idea. The principle of sowing and reaping is not just found in the New Testament. It goes back to the Old Testament as well. And that's why he quotes a couple of verses later from the Old Testament to back this up and to show that the idea, the, the idea of sowing and reaping is found right through the Scriptures. It's found right through Israel's story. So Paul quotes from Psalm 112. Can you see that quote there in verse 9? He quotes from Psalm 112, uh, which say, the way Paul quotes it is this. He says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, what's interesting about that is that there's actually a little bit more to the verse back in Psalms, a little bit more to that verse that Paul doesn't quote. Back in Psalm 112 itself, it says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. So there's this idea that for the Israelites in the Old Testament, as they were generous people, as they were caring for the poor among them, scattering their gifts to the poor, being free with what God had given them, they would receive blessing. That's a, that's a clear idea that there is this reciprocal thing. As you are generous, you will receive blessing. And the blessings that they were promised were in the form of your righteousness will endure forever. So not you're going to have everything you've ever dreamed of, but your righteousness will endure forever. That's your, your righteousness before God, your character of righteousness before God. And the other bit that Psalm 112 puts in there, your horn will be lifted high. Horn is a symbol of strength or honor or dignity among people. So for Israel, it's kind of a horizontal and a, and a vertical idea going on here. As you're generous, you're going to have righteousness before God, and you're going to have honor before people. But isn't it interesting that when Paul quotes that psalm, he only quotes one part of it. He only quotes the part about your righteousness will endure forever. And I think what that tells us is that Paul is saying we need to understand what this principle means for us today. It meant some specific things for Israel. And we can't just wrench those specifics out of their context and out of their story 
and plonk them on our lives today. Paul applies some of those blessings, but not all of those blessings. He's being careful. He's reinterpreting this principle around the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we need to follow Paul and follow the text in doing. The principle of sowing and reaping is absolutely biblical. Absolutely biblical. And Paul uses that agricultural idea that the seed in this metaphor, the seed that we have to sow is our money and our stuff, all the resources that God's brought into your life, your bank balances, everything from the food in your pantry to the car in your garage to the toys that your kids play with to the, to the clothes hanging in your wardrobe. That's the seed. That's the seed that we have. And so to sow sparingly means to be what? Stingy. To sow generously means to be, well, generous towards other people. It means to sow into the lives of other people, to be open-handed with our money and with our stuff. It means to lend freely. It means to give freely. It means to sow into the lives of people, to sow into the local church, to sow into Christian mission, to sow into Christian ministry. And when we do that, the Bible absolutely promises us that we will reap a harvest. See, I sound like a prosperity doctrine preacher, don't I? I just need the jet. I'm good to go. <laughs> there is a blessing. There is a blessing. And we can't, we shouldn't throw that out. There is absolutely this idea of as we sow, we should expect that we will reap. We should expect that there's going to be a reaping. There's going to be a blessing that comes to us and to other people. But the key is, and, and you're, already, you're already thinking this, I know. The key is to understand carefully what that reaping involves and what that blessing is. And this is where I want to spend our time today because really, a couple of weeks ago, we talked mainly about the sowing part. We talked about being generous. We spent a lot of time on that. So I want to look, and this is where Paul focuses in this chapter, on the reaping. What, how do we reap then? Is it material rewards? Is it money? Because there's clearly a reaping here that's implied. I want to highlight four things that Paul puts his finger on, which are ways that we can expect to reap a harvest of blessing in our lives as we learn to be generous sowers of the seed that God's given us. First one is that as we sow generously, as we're generous people, we will know God's provision for our needs. And that's a promise. It's right there in verse 9. Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a promise of Scripture that we can claim, that as we act in generosity, as we walk in generosity, we will know God to be our provider. It's one of the great names that God has and God has been given, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And sadly, I think so many Christians, so many Christians in the West never come to know God as their provider in a personal way because we're so utterly self-sufficient. And this is the way it works in our culture. Who provides for our needs? We do. I do. Who puts the food on the table? We do. Who makes the money? We do. We are our own provider, and so we seldom really experience Jehovah Jireh. We seldom experience the provision of God in our lives. But there are times when God will allow us to get to a point where we don't have as much, where we are face-to-face -face with our own need and our own reliance on God, and then we start to know God as provider. 
There's a couple in our church who were telling me a bit of their story not long ago. And uh, they went through a season of life where financially it was very, very hard for them. Their, their income level, household income level dropped right down. And uh, in the words of the wife, that she said, we, we were just broke. And she was sitting out on her deck one day, out on her front deck, facing the road, just praying, just praying for God to provide for their needs, praying that God would provide something, some way for their needs. And she said that the neighbor drove past, neighbor from up the road drove past and stopped and came up to her and just said, do you need some food? Just randomly. And she said, as a matter of fact, we do. The neighbor says, well, my husband works for a supermarket, owns a supermarket. And each day they get, I think they're called credits, those big pellets of the damaged or defected goods. But by damage, that could just mean a tiny little dent in a can. And the, f the food is, is fine. So she said, we're, we're getting these crates, we're getting these pallets all the time. Do you want me to bring you some? Do you want to get some of this food? Because we, we're getting it and we can easily give it to you. This is not a Christian person. And so this woman said, that'd be great. Thank you. So she sent her kids off up the road to get this food, brought it back, and she said, our dining room table was just absolutely covered in food. And then some. And it kept coming for months. And the neighbor just said, any time the supplies get a little bit low, just text me. And they did, and another pallet would arrive, another credit would arrive, they'd be able to get more food. And it, it became so that they had more food than they actually needed, and then they were able to be generous to other people. They started being able to give food away. Even though they were in a financially hard situation, they just had more in their pantry than they actually needed. They became like a conduit of generosity towards other people. But through that time, they knew God as their provider. Interestingly, she said to me, as our financial situation stabilized a little bit, then the offers became a bit less and the neighbor kind of gauged that. And so that need diminished and they were able to perhaps be generous to other people. But this was a season in which this couple really knew firsthand God as their provider. And this is one of the things. It might not be quite that dramatic and it may not be in that way. But when we put ourselves, this is why God wants us to be generous. Because when we take that step of releasing something of ours into the life of someone else, being generous, being sacrificially generous, we put ourselves in a position then when we can experience God meeting our needs in a way that we may not have before. When we're just so consumed with being utterly self-sufficient, we actually miss out on a blessing. And the blessing is to know Jehovah Jireh. This is part of the beauty of generosity is that it brings us face to face with our need for God's provision in a very practical way. And we get to know his provision in our life. So this is one of the ways. It doesn't mean God's going to supply, by the way, everything that your heart desires. Is that what Paul says? No, not, not everything you want. Not I'm going to picture this jet ski in my mind and if I reach out and grab it and picture it and claim it in faith, it's going to be mine. No, it's, that's not there. But the promise is God will provide all that you need. Paul says it even more uh, poetically in Philippians where he says, and my God is able to meet all of your needs out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's Jehovah Jireh. That's the blessing. That's the reaping we can expect when we start to step out in generosity towards others. It affects our relationship with God. Okay, next thing. As we are generous people, one of the ways in which we reap in our lives is through knowing you know, I can't remember what that second point is. What is the second point, Dilith? God will grow our character. It's one of the first times it's ever happened to me. Completely and utterly blanked on that point. That is why you should never preach without notes, people. God will grow our character. There you go. All right. 
going to have to go back to notes. My, my memory's not up to it anymore. God will go our character. Right. Dear Lift, do you know what I'm supposed to say about that? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. It's a beautiful phrase. So there's this idea here that as we're generous people, the, the harvest that we reap, and this is the same as when Paul quoted Psalm 112, the harvest is our own righteousness, our own character. It's not material possessions. It's not more money in our bank account. It's a harvest of righteousness. It's our lives gradually being conformed to the righteousness of Jesus. And this, I think, is where prosperity theology really comes off track. We live, we live in a culture that is so completely consumer-driven. Our culture is materialistic. Our culture is money-obsessed. We live in this consumptive, materialistic, hyper-consumer-driven capitalistic society. And so within that kind of context, is it any wonder that a theology like the prosperity doctrine arises? Is it, should it really surprise us? That kind of theology emerges when you're in a highly materialistic culture. All it represents is culture winning over theology and theology capitulating to culture. That's what we're seeing. That's what it is. It's a Western consumer theology. And the problem with prosperity theology is it comes then to Scripture and it reads these texts through the lens of consumerism. And so when Jesus says, you will have life and you will have it abundantly, we think, oh, he must be talking about money. And when Jesus says, give, and it will come back to you, we think, oh, right, so he, he must be talking about money. What else could he possibly be talking about? When Paul says, you will be enriched in every way, we think, oh, Paul, you must be talking about money because we lack the biblical imagination to think he could be possibly talking about anything else. We're so money-driven, it becomes a lens over our reading of Scripture. We've got to try to take that lens off and read Scripture as it was supposed to be read and ask what would this have meant to its original hearers, not just capitulate to our consumer-driven culture. And the sad thing is that what prosperity theology leads you towards is ultimately a diminishing of your character because you just become more obsessed with money because that's what you want and that's what now you think Scripture's promising you. You just become more focused on that rather than focused more on the kingdom of God and righteousness which is what Paul's trying to steer us towards here. The reaping that we experience is the harvest of righteousness in our lives. That as we give generously to others, God does something in our hearts. There's a direct line between generosity, generous giving, generous sharing, and our heart. Martin Luther said there's three conversions of the Christian. Conversion of the head, conversion of the heart, conversion of the wallet. Many Christians, I think, are still walking around, have not experienced the third conversion, have not experienced the conversion of the wallet. We believe the right stuff, believe the doctrine. We, we love Jesus in our heart and we get a warm, fuzzy feeling, but we are gripping our wallet with white knuckles and we will not let it go. And that's where so many of us live. And it affects our relationship with God and it hinders our ability to grow into the character of Christ. We're so tight-fisted. We just hold on to our stuff and gently the work of the Spirit in your life is just to pry one finger off that wallet and then the next finger 
and the next one until we can take that wallet and place it on the altar, so to speak, and say, God, this is yours. That which I keep for myself and that which I literally give away, it's all yours, and I consecrate it to you. I surrender. It's a very hard thing. It's a really hard thing. I find this really hard. It doesn't come naturally to me. I find myself to be more selfish and tight-fisted than I want to be, and I think it's probably true for many of us. There are some people that are naturally generous, but I don't think it's many. But this is the work of the Spirit in our life, to say, can you take a step towards generosity? And we find that as we do that, as you take that step, something shifts in your heart. Something shifts. As you give money towards others in need, as you sow into Christian ministry and mission and the work of the kingdom of God, something, that, that blockage of selfishness that's embedded itself in your heart is dislodged. And the waters of righteousness begin to flow. Something is unblocked when we act generously. I just about guarantee you, if you went out this week and you took some steps towards generosity, towards other people, genuinely, you come back next week and tell me if that doesn't do something to your heart. If that, if that, if that hasn't softened your heart just a little bit. Turned your heart just a little bit more towards loving God more than loving money. Our generosity is such a key part of our discipleship. There's a direct link, I think, between generosity and the heart. And so the reaping is a harvest of righteousness. The third way in which we reap is that God will increase our store of seed. Look again at verse 10. Paul says, God will also supply and increase your store of seed. Now, this is where I'm really going to sound like a prosperity theology preacher for a moment because the seed here represents our money and our stuff. If, if the seed represents our resources, then there is a promise here that the one who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also increase your store of seed. As we're generous people, there seems to be a promise here that God will increase our store of seed. And I think that it probably works in the sense that as we prove ourselves to be generous people, God knows He can entrust us with more resources because we're not going to hoard them for ourselves. We're going to give them away. And I wouldn't be at all surprised is if you prove yourself to be a generous person that God does bless you, even materially, even financially, not so that you can be selfish with it, not so you can go buy a jet plane, but so that you become a conduit of blessing towards other people. Why would he not do that? If God's eyes are wandering to and fro, looking for generous people, and he sees you with a wide open heart, willing to release, willing to be open-handed, why would he not open the storehouse of heaven and increase the resources that you have? Because he knows you'll be a conduit through which those resources can flow into the lives of others. So the difference between this and prosperity theology is prosperity theology says you give generously, God will increase your store of seed so you can just have more seed. What Paul is saying is as you practice generosity, God may, I don't think it's an absolute promise, but God may increase your store of seed. He may increase your resources. He may bring more wealth to you so that you can increasingly be generous towards other people. It's like that, that very first song that we sung this morning. See if I can get the lyrics right. I can't get them right. You will increase the seed I've received, I will sow. Is that right? I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. So there's that idea of sowing and reaping. I think God does promise us more seed to sow. But the emphasis is on seed to sow, not seed to store up. Does that make sense? Okay. 
And finally then, we reap a harvest in the lives of other people. It's not just reaping in our lives. It's not just a blessing in our lives. But look at what Paul says. That whole last paragraph in chapter 9 is taken up with Paul describing the blessings that are coming to other people through the Corinthians' generosity. He says, as you do this, this is going to overflow in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. The, the Jerusalem church is going to be blessed. In turn, they're going to pray for you. In turn, their hearts are going to go out to you. In turn, other churches around the Mediterranean are going to hear about it. They're going to be inspired. They'll probably give more. They'll pray for you. It, there's so much blessing that's going to come beyond what you may experience. And I think the principle is that as we give generously, there'll always be a harvest in the lives and the organizations that we give to. We just may not see it. Sometimes you will. Sometimes you'll give money and you'll see the expression on someone's face. Sometimes you'll give and you'll never know. You'll never know exactly how that money's been used, but you sow and you leave the reaping of the harvest to God. Don't give with strings attached. Don't give on a conditional basis. Don't go only if I know exactly that you're going to do this or this is going to be my pet project over here or I can control. No, you just give as an act of faithfulness to God out of the abundance of what he's provided and trust him. Trust that whenever we sow, whenever we're generous, there will be a harvest, there will be blessing, there will be reaping. It may be in this life, it may be in the future, beyond our own time, beyond our own day, but there will always be a harvest. And so we are simply called to sow faithfully and leave the harvest to God. You know, when I think about this law of sowing and reaping, I think about prosperity theology and frankly, the damage it does to people's lives and people's discipleship. And I think about this passage. It reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I want to finish with this. It's a quote. He's not talking specifically about money at this point. He's talking about desire. And I think wherever we are, whether or not we buy into prosperity theology, it's fair to say that we can just be far too obsessed with money and with our own financial security. And Lewis talks about how God finds these desires that we have, including our desire for money, not too strong, but too weak. It's not that we desire money when we should be desiring something else necessarily. It's that our desires in general are just so low when God wants to lift our sights up. And Lewis says this, We are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That would be, I think, a, a theological summary of the prosperity doctrine. It's making mud pies in the sand because it can't see what God really means by a holiday at the sea, what it really means in Scripture to be rich toward God. But aside from prosperity doctrine, this is where we all live. When we obsess over money and we're just so consumed by our financial future and that's what just weighs on us and that's where our anxieties come from, our materialism, and that's what seems to drive us and that's the impulse and that's where our mental and emotional energy goes, we are contenting ourselves with making mud pies in the slums. That's all we're doing. Because we don't have the imagination to look up and see what God offers us is so much more. It's not less than that. It's not even other than that. It's just way more than that. It's a holiday at the sea. It's true richness toward God. When you truly discover what it means to be rich toward Christ, to be rich in the Spirit, 
to be rich in the way the Bible describes and defines it. You'll never again be content with making mud pies in the sand. When we truly see the kind of reaping, the kind of harvest, the kind of blessing that Scripture promises us in response to generous giving, we'll never want to go back to just obsessing over money because we'll see the incredible blessing of reaping, that our character can be transformed, that our faith can be extended, that our reliance on God as our provider can be enhanced, that God may choose to use us as a conduit of generosity into the lives of others, and that God will always reap a harvest in the lives and organizations that we are generous towards, even when we don't see it. When we get our hearts around that kind of harvest, we're not going to be content with much less. So may we be generous people, generous-hearted and generous in action. May we be a generous community towards one another, towards our church, towards those outside our church. And may we anticipate eagerly and expect that we will reap, that we will be blessed, but not selfishly. Please don't hear me saying that. Not selfishly, but in the work of the Spirit in our lives and flowing over into the lives of others. And may it all be for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, we are challenged. And Lord, I know, I feel just how strong my grip is on my own finances and my own stuff. And I think we all feel that, God. Lord, we feel a bit torn because we see the offer you make us of a holiday at the sea. We see this incredible reaping, the harvest of righteousness. And Lord, my heart desires it and our hearts desire it. But our grip is just still so tight and we find it so hard not to be anxious about money. We find it so hard to take those steps of generosity. We find it so hard to share freely with others, to give without expectation of return. Father, we pray you'd work on our hearts. We pray even now as we sit here, by your Spirit, you would just begin to pry those fingers open. Just begin to pry away our grip on our own money and our own finances. And we wanted to say to you, Lord, in our hearts in this moment, that everything we have comes from you. Everything we already have, we can only give out of your hand. So God, forgive us for the way we even think that this is ours to begin with. Forgive us, Lord, for the way that we've tried to make ourselves owners when all we are is stewards. God, give us that, that picture that this belongs to you. Everything we have is yours. And so in the way that we use our money and the financial decisions that we make, and particularly in the acts, both small and large, of generosity that we make, Help us to do that, Lord, out of the abundance that you've given us, out of your generosity, because you've been good and kind and faithful to us. Make us a community of generosity, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 
415 0455. Thank you for listening.